you have a Bible, you can turn to Zephaniah chapter 2. It's one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, towards the end of the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible, it's printed in your order of worship, and you can follow along there. But I do encourage you, if you have a Bible at home, to bring it and use it. And if you don't have a Bible at home, there are Bibles here, and we would be happy to give you one. Um, but we're continuing to look at the book of Zephaniah through these weeks of Advent as we look forward to celebrating the first coming of Jesus and as we look forward to when he returns. And last week we looked at Zephaniah 1. I mean, much of Zephaniah is, is about the judgment of God. It's about the, the warning that God's judgment is coming because of, of the sin of his people, because of our sin. The whole first chapter is, is about, uh, Zephaniah is talking about how God's judgment is coming upon it's going to be coming upon the people of Judah. And then as he moves into chapter 2, he, he kind of broadens it out to all the nations. And he, he warns them that, that all of the nations are going to experience the, the wrath of God because of their sin, because they've turned away from him. And last week, we, we talked about how this is appropriate in Advent to think about the judgment of God because we can't really appreciate the brightness of the light that Jesus is until we really understand and acknowledge the darkness of our hearts and the darkness that we're living in. Um, and now as we get into chapter 2, again, he continues more of the same, but, but he, he's warning the people of the judgment of God that it's coming so that they will pay attention to the present moment so that they can actually do something differently now and maybe change what's to come. So he gives them several things to do, and, and this is what he tells them in, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Listen to God's word. Gather together. Yes, gather, O shameless nation. Before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. This is God's word, let's pray. Father, we pray that in the midst of all of the different distractions that might be pulling at each of our hearts, that you would help us now to pay attention to the present moment. That you would help us to seize this moment and to listen to you. To engage with you and your spirit, because you are present. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there, there is so much going on in life, it can be very, very easy to focus on everything but the present, but the immediate moment that surrounds us. Um, everything except for our immediate uh, circumstances and, and, and this present, it's hard to engage with the present. When I, when I was uh, 11, I played football. It was my first year of playing organized tackle football. And I was so excited to play. I used to love football. I used to love playing. And, and uh, you know, I, I was excited to put all the pads on. And, and I was, you know, practicing and just learning, soaking everything I could up from the coach who was telling me, you know, how to play. And and what to do, and so I was, uh, we, we'd gotten to the first game of the season, and uh, the very first play of the first game was our team was kicking the ball off to the other team, and, and so I went out on the field, and my job was to run down the field, you know, 30, 40 yards, and try to tackle the guy who gets the ball, and so I was just pumped. I was so excited. I was eager to please my coach. I was eager to go, you know, make the play and get all the glory, and, 
And uh, so I'm, I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm lined up there. I'm thinking about everything that the coach taught me, what we did at practice last week. I'm looking way down the field at where the, the other player is that's going to be catching the ball. And I'm like thinking, that's where I need to get. That's where I need to get. I'm looking way down the field. And, uh, and then they, they kick the ball off and I start running. And I start running down the field. And I'm just reciting to myself over and over again, like out loud, what the coach had told me to do. He's like, you know, as you run down, you're supposed to stay in your lane. You know, you know, everybody wants to like stay in their lane, like not like converge to the middle of the field. You need to stay and cover the whole field. So, so I'm staying in my lane. I'm just thinking about what my, what my coach told me, looking down the field, stay in your lane, stay in your lane, stay in your lane. And, and I'm, I'm just like thinking about everything except what is immediately in front of me, which is another player on the other team who just, you know, all of a sudden I feel this explosion of like, this, this crack in my chest. And if, for, for those few of you who watch Marvel mo- movies, you know when the Sorcerer Supreme like hits the person's chest and their, their like spirit like comes out of their body? Oh, sorry. And that, that's, that's kind of what it was like. I was like. I was like, flew back, you know, like 10 feet in the air. That's how I envision it. And I ended up laying on my back just staring up at the clouds. And uh, that's what happened because I wasn't paying attention to my immediate circumstances, to the, to the you know, the... the the present moment of what I was in. I was just thinking of, you know, the coach's instructions. I was thinking of where I would get to down the field. And, and this is the thing. I, I think all of us struggle with focusing on the present moment, the immediate moment right in front of us, especially at Christmas. Isn't it hard? At Christmas, there is so much to do. We have shopping to get done. We're, we're thinking about, you know, what is the perfect gift I can get this person that I care about? Um, we, we have to go to Christmas parties, and, and our, our schedule is busier. You know, we're thinking about how can we fit everything into our schedule. We're, we're, we're doing more things maybe to serve others. We're, we're taking advantage of opportunities to serve and, and involvement at church. And, and there's all these things that, we, that are drawing our attention from the present moment right in front of us, from what we're doing right now and what we're thinking about right now. Um, and that's on top of all of the things that we usually deal with during the regular part of the year, right? All of our usual responsibilities with work and with the problems that we're facing and, and our health and, and people that we care about who are struggling with things. And so it's hard, really, to focus on the present moment right now. It's hard to think about what's happening right in front of me and to engage with what's happening right in front of me. In verse 1 of this chapter, Zephaniah repeats a word over and over and over again. Did you notice that? Actually, I'm sorry, it's verse 2. He says, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. He says, before, before, before. He's been warning them, the judgment of God is coming. But guess what? Before that happens, I mean, like right now, you have an opportunity to change, to do something differently if you will just pay attention to the present moment and do what God wants you to do. And so in the midst of all of the distractions of this certain, of this, this holiday season, and in the midst of all the, of the things that are pulling at us, good and bad things that are pulling at us to, to focus on everywhere else except for the present moment, God says, this is what you need to do now. This is what you need to do now, today, okay? And he tells us three things to do. Um, I, would, I would say that this passage tells us to gather, to seek, and to hide. To gather, to seek, and to hide. So first of all, he, he says it right in the very first, first word, gather, gather together. Yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree 
takes effect. The first thing God tells the people to do is to gather. I mean, ultimately, what they all need to do, what we all need to do, he says the judgment of coming, the last chapter, he said the judgment of God is coming because of our sin, right? Because we have been living life saying, God, I've got it. I don't need you. I don't need you to tell me how to live my life. We've been living our lives pursuing all sorts of other things and living for other things rather than him. So what we really need to do is we need to repent. We need to turn away from our sin and we need to turn to God. But the first thing he says here, he says gather. And so logically speaking, I think, what, what does that mean? It means that gathering together is something that's going to help us turn towards God. Gathering together is something that's going to help us repent. It's something that's going to help us humble ourselves, which is what we need to do. Gathering is important for those things. And I think it makes sense to me. Like, as I think about my own life, as I look around, like, when, when you isolate yourself from other people, it's, it's easier to kind of just think that life is about you. Isn't it? When you, when you isolate yourself, um, it's easier to not think about other people or to think about God when I isolate myself. To think about the fact that, that it's, it's just life is about me. It's about my needs. It's about my desires. It's about my wants. When I isolate myself, that's, that's easy to do. When I, when I come together with other people and I'm, and I'm actually present with them and I engage with them, it reminds me that I'm not the center of the universe. It reminds me of the fact that there are other people with needs and hurts and pains. It reminds me of the need to, to think about more than just myself when I gather with others. And that prepares, I think, my heart as I, as I think about others. It also prepares my heart. It makes, my, it makes me more humble and ready to engage with the fact that, that God is present and desires my attention as well. Um, gathering together is, is crucial for us if we want to um, have hearts that are softer to others and to him and to God. Um, I've been rereading, or I, I shouldn't say I've been rereading, I've been reading for the first time. I've watched the, the movie many times, um, the, A Christmas Carol, but I've been reading it for the first time this past week. And uh, you know, you know the, the character Ebenezer Scrooge, who is the epitome of a person who um, has just completely shut himself off from others, right? All he thinks about is himself. All he thinks about is what he has, is what he wants. You know, the, at the beginning of the story, his nephew, I think, comes over, right? And he's like, invites him over to Christmas. He's like, why would I want to come to your house for Christmas? Why would I want to, you know? It's just a picture of the fact that as we isolate ourselves, it just becomes more and more about me. And less and less, we're less and less able to engage, not only with others, but with God, too. We, we think that it's all about us. There's a great movie from 20 years ago um, that I really like. I don't know if any of you guys have seen it. It's called About a Boy with uh, Hugh Grant in it. And in the movie, Hugh Grant plays this character who's this, he's just this really self-centered, single guy who, um, he, he actually brags at the beginning, there's a voiceover at the beginning, he talks about, you know, like, it's, it's said that, that no man is an island. He's like, well, I am an island. I am an island. I need no one. I depend on no one. And it's awesome. I love it. And he just spends his entire life thinking about himself. And then the movie is about how this middle school boy ends up intruding on his life. He, through certain different circumstances, he begins to, this boy, he comes to know this boy. And this boy, like, finds out where he lives. I think he follows him or something. The boy finds out where he lives. So then after school, this boy's got all sorts of problems. He's got nowhere else to go. And he starts coming over to, to Hugh Grant's house every day. 
And, and he, he comes over first, and he like rings the doorbell, and, and Hugh Grant answers the phone, he answers the door. He's like, just go away, go away. And he shuts the door in his face. And the kid then just continues to ring the doorbell over and over and over again until he finally lets him inside. And he starts coming over every day after school and sitting on the couch with Hugh Grant and just watching this game show every day. And slowly, as they spend more time together, Hugh Grant begins to care about this kid. He, get, he begins to be kind to the kid. He begins to think about what does this kid need, and he takes him out shopping for new shoes and stuff like that. And then, and then um, there's this one climactic point in the movie where, where this kid, is, he, he's going to sing this song in this talent show to please his mom, but it's, it's, he's just going to embarrass himself because it's a song that everybody would just make fun of. And so he goes into, he, the kid goes to the talent show, and, and Hugh Grant rushes to the show, and he runs out on stage, and Hugh Grant like sings the song instead of the kid to draw all of the attention and all of humiliation upon himself for the sake of this kid. And that's what happens as we, as we actually spend time with other people, as we engage with other people, as we gather with others, it opens our eyes to the fact that the world is not just about me. And so that's, that's crucial. That's the first thing he tells us to do. We need to commit in our lives today to opening our, our lives up to others, to gathering with others this Christmas season I mean, and it's one thing to actually go to things and, and be with people, but it's actually another thing to actually truly be present with people, right? It's one thing to come to church and then to talk to people afterwards. It's another thing to actually be present with people and to actually listen to, to what they're dealing with and talk about them, about who they are. And this is what he calls us to do. He calls us to, to move towards other people, to gather with them, to be with them. And that's one thing that will help us, will, will move us towards living a life that honors him, that we're called to. And, but, but then he tells us that this, in verse 3, he tells us to seek. So he says, gather together, but then he says, seek. He says, seek the Lord, seek righteousness, seek humility. Now, as I said before, what, what these people really needed to do and what we all really need to do is we need to repent. We need to turn from our sin. We need to turn from our self-centeredness and we need to turn towards God and we need to submit to him and we need to obey him. But that's not what he tells us to do. Like a lot of other prophets use the word repent. They use the word turn, right? Um, he could have said, turn to the Lord. He could have said, obey the Lord. He could have said, surrender to the Lord. That's what you guys really need to do. But instead he says, seek the Lord. He says, seek the Lord. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. What, what, what is it that we seek? When, when we seek something, what does that mean? We tend to seek things that we want, don't we? Don't we tend to seek things that we hope to find because we think that those things are going to, to, to satisfy us, to give us what we want? You know, all of us seek all sorts of things in life. We seek, we seek admiration, we seek wealth, we seek success, we seek comfort, we seek happiness, we seek relationship, we seek love. There's all sorts of things we seek because we want them. We think that those things are going to satisfy us. And I think in a, in a, in a, a subtle way, what Zephaniah is saying when he tells us to seek the Lord, he's saying, guys, you need to seek the Lord because ultimately... He's worth wanting. He's worth wanting. You need to seek him because he will satisfy you. He will bring you the happiness that you long for. Seek him. 
Seek righteousness. To, to seek righteousness is, righteousness is to, to live a life that reflects who God is. It's to live a life of, of love for God and for other people. That's what righteousness is. It's to live a life of, of faithfulness and, and gentleness and kindness and sacrifice. That's what righteousness is. And he says, seek righteousness. Righteousness is something that actually, you, maybe you don't realize it, but it's what you long for. It's what you were created for, to live a life of kindness and love for other people, of faithfulness and truth, of justice and mercy. This is what you were made for, and it's what your soul is longing for, to live that way. Seek humility. That is what, we, you know, all of us, we struggle with pride. We struggle with thinking that the world is about us, that our life is about us. We, we, are, we struggle with being self-centered and self-absorbed. And ultimately, what we were made for is to live lives where we look outside of ourselves, where we live lives that are preoccupied with the greatness of God. And we're preoccupied with those around us and their needs and, and their beauty. And so he says, seek the Lord, seek humility, seek righteousness. These are the things that will satisfy you. These are the things that you really want. There's a great line in A Christmas Carol, as I was reading it, um, in the moment, if you know the story, where, where um, Jacob Marley, Ebenezer Scrooge's old partner who has died many years ago, his, the ghost of Jacob Marley comes back and appears to Scrooge on Christmas Eve, and he promises him that, that there are going to be three ghosts, the, the ghosts of the past, the present, and the future are going to come and haunt him. And, uh, and as Jacob Marley shows up, he, he comes and, and he's, he's got all these chains all over him. And he's trying to warn Scrooge, you know, don't end up like me. Don't end up like me. And then uh, before he leaves, um, Marley brings Scrooge over to the window. And Scrooge looks out the window and Marley shows him all of these other ghosts of the, all these other people who are in misery. They're miserable. And, uh, and they all have, they have all these chains hanging off of them. Some of them have more ch longer chains than others. And, and they're just all miserable. And the line that struck me as I was reading it, it says that they're all in misery because they sought to interfere for good in human matters, and they had lost the power to do so. They were all in misery because they, they had sought to interfere for good in the lives of others, but they lost the power to do so. They wanted to, to serve others and, and to show love and to, and to be kind to others, but they no longer could. They were, they, they were just uh, chained with, with eternity, of, of not being able to, to be righteous. They sought righteousness, but they couldn't obtain it anymore. And, and this is the thing. Zephaniah is saying, now is the time. Now is the time that you have an opportunity to interfere for good in the lives of others. And that will satisfy you more than you can imagine. And so he says, now, now is the time to seek righteousness. Now is the time to, to interfere for good in the lives of the people around you. I love the way they put, that he puts it. To think about interfering in the lives of others, but for good. And so if we seek something, if we are seeking something, this is the thing. When we seek something, it totally shapes the decisions we make, the actions we take right now in the present. As you think about the Christmas story and, and the, you know, the, the wise men that came to, to seek out Jesus and worship him, the Messiah, um, they, they came from far, far away, right? And they made this long, long trip to seek Jesus. 
because they were seeking the Messiah, because they were seeking the Messiah, what did they have to do? They had to make all sorts of choices to live their lives differently. They had to pack their things. And then they had to go out their door and they had to like get on their camel or whatever and ride a long trip and experience a lot of, you know, excruciating, you know, uh, boredom maybe on the trip and, and, and challenges on the trip. And they, they experienced all of these things in the present, these decisions they made because they were seeking to find the Messiah. If we are seeking the Lord, it will impact what we do now, right? It'll impact the way that we schedule our lives now, the way that we make time for him. I mean, what is it to seek the Lord? To seek the Lord is to, to, to long to, to know him, to realize that knowing God and becoming intimate with his love for me and who he is, that is what will satisfy me. And it's scheduling my life so that I seek him, to know him better, to spend time in prayer with him, to spend time listening to his word, to spend time worshiping him. To seek righteousness is to, to make choices today, to do different things with my time, that I spend it with other people, that I look for other people and their needs, that I, that I do different things with my stuff, my money, how I give it away with, with, with my emotional capital, how I listen to people and, and, and empathize with people and care for them. And he calls us to do this in the present, to take our present and to interfere for good in the lives of others, to seek the Lord. What are you seeking? What are you seeking today? What are you seeking in this present moment? What is it that you realize will satisfy your heart? So he tells us to gather and to seek, and, and lastly, he tells us to hide. Well, he doesn't exactly tell us to hide. I, when, when, when Tyler saw the, uh, the outline when I sent it to him to put in the, uh, in the bulletin, he was like, you're messing with my OCD, man, putting, uh, putting hide after seek, you know, <laughs> instead of before. But actually, he, I, I kind of introduced this kind of a little wrong because he tells us to gather, he tells us to seek, but he actually doesn't tell us to hide, Right? He doesn't tell us to hide. He says at the end of verse 3, perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. This is the thing. He, he says, you need to change the way you're living now so that maybe, not that you can hide, but maybe you will be hidden. When, when the Bible, often, when the Bible uses a verb in the passive tense, it's passive here. You will be hidden instead of you will hide. He says, you will be hidden. When the Bible uses a, a verb in the passive tense, it often wants you to insert the fact that God is the one who is doing the action. So when it says, perhaps you will be hidden, what it's saying is, perhaps God will hide you. Perhaps God will hide you. That's what you need to count on. You need the, the, when it comes to the judgment of God, when it comes to the, the wrath of God, the anger of God that, that I deserve because of, I've turned away from him, because of my sin... There is no escape for me. I cannot do anything. I cannot seek him hard enough to escape his judgment. The only way of escaping his judgment is if I count on him to hide me. If I count on him to do something to hide me. And that is exactly what he has done. It's kind of like in the Old Testament, in, in, uh, in, you know, when, when Moses asks to see the glory of God, and God's like, buddy, you can't see my glory. If I show you myself, you're going to die. 
So what does God do? He's like, well, what we'll do is we'll take you and we'll put you in a crack, in a cleft in the rock, and I'm going to hide you there so that when I pass by, you're hidden and you're safe. And then after I'm gone, you can, you can like look and see the back of me and you'll be okay. Our only hope when it comes to the presence of God and to his, his judgment against our sin is that he hides us, that he keeps us safe. And that is exactly what Jesus has come into the world for. Jesus came to the world not just to rescue us, but to hide us from the judgment of God. That is why Jesus came to, to live a perfect life of obedience. That is why Jesus came to die on the cross. His death on the cross is what hides us from the judgment of God. His resurrection from the dead is what hides us from the consequences of our sin. It's only through the work of God in Jesus that we can be hidden, that we can be safe, and that we can know that we don't have to face God's judgment, but instead what we face is God's favor and joy and security and peace. In the movie Frozen, I don't know how many of you guys have seen the movie Frozen, there's this character Olaf. Um, Olaf is the, uh, the snowman who is like, he, he's alive. And there's this one song where Olaf sings, and it's the perfect blend of, like, comedy and absolute tragedy. Like, it's, it's funny, but it's incredibly sad. Where he just sings this song about, like, how he dreams of the summer. And how it's going to be so awesome when he gets to go frolic on the hills in the summer, in the, in, the, in the sun, in the heat of the sun. And as you're watching this, like, he's just naively talking about how glorious the summer is going to be. And everybody knows what's going to happen to him in the summer. He's going to last like two minutes in the summer in 95 degree weather, right? We all know it's just like a hopeless dream that this guy has. And yet, if you see in the movie, by the end of the movie, um, he's able to live in the summer. How is that possible? Because Elsa uses her powers to create a cloud that just constantly, wherever he goes, it follows him, and just this, this snow shower just follows him wherever he goes. And he's safe from the blazing heat of the sun. And that's actually a picture of the gospel, right? Um, the only way we can find safety and security in, in the face of the judgment of God for our sin, what we deserve, is if God provides Jesus, his life and his death, to be a cloud over us to hide us, to hide us, to, pre to protect us from his judgment. And so that's what we need to do. We need to gather. In this, in this present moment, right now, we need to gather together with others. We need to seek the Lord, but we need to just huddle under the cloud of Jesus. Right now, knowing that right there in that spot, we are safe. Right there in that spot, we can experience the favor of God, the blessing of God as he pours these, you know, cool snow showers down upon us. So we are urged to find shelter under the work of God to hide us, to seek him and a life of righteousness, to gather together, to prioritize being with people as we seek him together. But, but the key is that all of it, we, we must not miss the opportunity. It's now that we have to do these things. It's now that we have to do these things. It's now that we have to actually believe Right now, we have to believe that God is worth wanting. Right now, we have to actually believe that Jesus 
will satisfy me more than anything else will. And think about how does that change the way that I deal with this present moment and with my things and with my time. How does that change everything? Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do is to take action now when it's the easiest thing for us to do is just kind of keep, you know, just going along with the flow of life, right? In A Christmas Carol, come back to that one more time, Ebenezer Scrooge is given the chance to look at his past, to look at the present, and also then to look at the future. You know, the ghost of Christmas future comes and he's all cloaked in darkness and black and he's just got this one bony hand and he doesn't say anything, he just goes around pointing to all of these scenes. You know, the scene of, of Scrooge's dead body. Nobody seems to care about this person who has died. And then ultimately he comes to his grave and the, and, and the ghost of Christmas future points at his grave, this grave that is overgrown with weeds. It's, it's been completely neglected. Nobody, his life has not made any difference whatsoever. Nobody cares about it. And when Scrooge sees that, he's like, please tell me. These are only things that might happen. Can I change the way that I'm living now? Can I change the future if I change the way I'm living now? Can I? Please tell me I can. And it's then that the ghost of Christmas, Christmas future disappears and he's left there in his room, in his bed, and he's finally brought back to the present and it's then that he exclaims, he's like, I'm here, I'm here. The shadows of the things that would have been may be dispelled. The shadows of the things that would have been may be dispelled. He realizes that he has a chance to change, but he must act now. And it's then, that day, he opens his shutters, right? In joy, he begins to laugh uncontrollably. He thinks about the, 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 the guy that, that works for him and his family, and, and he wants to immediately provide for them, you know? And he has changed. And that's what God calls all of us to. We need to pay attention now to the present moment. Will we seek the Lord? Will we believe that he is worth seeking? That he's worth everything? Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to the, the reality that the most important thing that any of us could do right now is to seek you, is to be present with you, to engage with you in all that you have done, to engage with the, 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 the sufficiency of Jesus, that he is enough for us to hide us, to make us safe. Father, we pray that you would help us to be present with others right now in our lives, that, that you would help us to, to take initiative, to, to be with people, to engage with them, to care about them. That we would not only seek you, but we would seek righteousness, that we would seek to interfere for good in the lives of others, that we would seek humility, putting others before ourselves. Father, we thank you for your grace and we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the invitation. Um, the fact that your grace is so good that you warn us, you say, before it's too late, now take this opportunity to find your joy in me. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
we now have an opportunity to meet him, to be reminded of all that he has done for us at the Lord's table. If you need the elements, if you didn't pick them up on the way in and you would like to participate in communion, uh, raise your hand and Glenn will get the elements to you.